to the podcast listeners who are in New York City. Friday, November 15th at 7.15 p.m. at Babeland Soho. Sex Positive, Positive Sex with hashtag We Need a Button is going to feature critically acclaimed sex writers and advocates Zachary Zane and Sophie St. Thomas. They're going to be gabbing on about how to have safer, that's safe with an R, sex when you or your partners are HIV positive from disclosures to prep to safer, again, safe with an R at the end, toy usage to interacting with doctors. And yes, part of safer sex involves routine medicine medical checkups, and adherence to medications. For many, especially those who are LGBTQAI+, the challenge of finding affirming, knowledgeable, and respectful medical providers can be an overwhelming obstacle. You can find out more about this event by checking out Eventbrite, and the name of it is Sex Positive Positive Sex. What a tongue twister, especially for me, given that all this time I've been saying something positive for positive people. (laughs) Our guest is Stacy Bratton, a trans woman who speaks on trans issues from an educational perspective. And we sat down in person, face to face, and we talked. I can't a hundred percent relate. I can empathize, I can have compassion for people who don't necessarily look like me or share the same beliefs or lifestyles whatever it may be like however you choose to look at people but one thing i choose to acknowledge is that at our core we're all the same we're all humans we breathe air and we die so from that perspective when you look at things it makes us all connected and we're able to see that recently there were some i don't read headlines of stuff like this but i saw a lot of hate coming from there's an R&B singer named Tank. I don't know what the allegations were, but people were making jokes about, if you suck a dick, you're gay. And it was very fucked up, is the best way to put it, that this man being himself, I guess, you know, and, and choosing, making his choices and choosing to love who he wants to love or have sex with who he wants to have sex with was met by such hate because I've seen posts from the black community specifically in regards to this black man expressing his sexuality and whatever whoever he's attracted to just being met with such rage and hate and the things that people say about what they're going to do to their children if they are homosexual or if their boy wants to wear heels or girls clothes or play with barbies or if their child that presents, I guess, as a male because of their penis, decides that they more so identify with the feminine or vice versa. They talked about, like, the hateful things that they're going to do to them. And I, I, I hate seeing that. I really do. And I'm very fortunate to have met Stacy and been able to bring her on to share her experience dealing with a little bit of the hate. We don't talk a lot about that, but we talk about her experience from when she was four years old. And she remembers the first phobic experience that she had received from her dad. We talk through that. We talk about her being polyamorous, about her having an asexual wife, her having heterosexual boyfriend. The big takeaway here was that 
Stacy has more confidence now in being herself as a trans woman in 2019 than she did as a white male. As you listen through this, you'll hear that the conversation is a little bit, you know, tricky for me to have because I want to make sure that I'm asking things in a very respectful way. And I want to make sure that people understand that this conversation is supposed to have been a very productive one. Um, Stacy's probably someone who we can have back on here later. So if anyone has questions or you want more of something, I'll reach out to Stacy and see if she'll be open to having further, more constructive, more detailed conversations around the issues that the trans community faces or um, even her own experiences. So as you listen through this episode, please just listen through this episode. Know that I'm not being disrespectful in any of the questions that I'm asking. I let Stacy really guide me through the conversation according to her experience. So hope you enjoy this episode of Something Positive for Positive People with Stacy Bratton. I'm still overdoing intros. If you don't know what this podcast is about, please go and check out episode zero of Something Positive for Positive People. I go over my own personal experience and then I talk a little bit about the direction this podcast is headed. As I mentioned before, this is an intentionally inclusive hub of sex positive resources. I today have a guest with me. I met at the Sex Positive STL event and I want to preface our introduction here by saying that in expanding the conversations that we have had on this podcast, starting with people living with HIV, AIDS, HPV, to people who have had different gender identities and identified as things that have extended way beyond my reality and the perception that I had prior to awareness of people who identified as something that wasn't male or female boy or girl, man, woman, whatever, outside of the binary. A few instances in my personal life, I remember that I had a manager at my workplace pull us into the office, and this is a funny story because I was working and I was always on my phone while I was working. I worked at a department store, and we worked the 7 p.m. to midnight-ish shift, and um, we're a nice little close-knit team of roughly 7 to 12 people. And I just, in between aisles, pull out my phone, I'd be texting or something, and I get a message on my walkie-talkie. It's like, hey, Courtney, can you come to my office real quick? I was like, shit, I know I'm about to get fired. So we get called in the back, shut the door. My manager's in there, looks me dead in the eyes and goes, I need to tell you something. And I forget, like, the exact words, but once the words came out of his mouth, at the time, he went by Matt, and he said that he was going through... Um, I forget the language that he used, but this was something where we had to, he had to talk to the coworkers and his employees. And I use him because this is what his identity was prior to this conversation. He then said that she would be going by Alexis moving forward. And we talked about what that meant moving forward, that he'd be dressing different she would be dressing different and that um, we would need to address her now as Alexis. And I cannot tell you the amount of relief from my heart when I heard that. I was like, that's it? Like, good for you? Because I thought I was about to get my ass fired for being (laughs) on my cell phone. And then there was another instance where one of my coworkers at a different job um, was going through, was transitioning. And if I'm saying anything wrong, feel free to correct me. And there was an email that went out from management just basically saying, moving forward, it was very direct and there wasn't much information given. So I can't imagine how uncomfortable my coworker felt. They were transitioning from 
female to male. And that was like the end of the discussion. It was basically like, don't be an asshole. That was the email. And then that was it. I went to Sex Positive SCL event, first one I'd ever been to. And I swear to you, it was like me being around the people who I regularly engage with on Instagram, but in real life. So it was nice to be able to see people face to face and have that human connection and presence and energetic exchanges and conversations with a variety of people who had a similar mindset, especially for me living in Missouri. Missouri is fairly conservative. I don't necessarily fall under that. So it was cool to be able to have these kinds of conversations and be around different kinds of people and I ended up uh, meeting our guest today Stacy so this podcast episode isn't about herpes it's more so about Stacy's experience we can just begin with where I think the first thing that caught my attention was when you mentioned that straight men thought that if you were attracted to trans women that that made you homosexual can we talk about that? I'll introduce sure. you. Like we can give an introduction. If you want to talk a little bit about yourself, you can, but I don't like to ask people, who are you? That's rubbed people the wrong way. Um, but if you do want to share anything about yourself as an introduction, you can, but I'll go back and plug that in later. Okay. Um, do, what do you want me to explain to you how I handled that question? Let's talk about that question. Cause that to me was like, I think that's something that a lot of <clears throat> straight men are thinking, you know, if you, are sexually attracted to a trans woman that, oh, in their minds, because of what we've been programmed to believe about men, I guess, that you are now having to question your sexuality. And I think that's what a lot of straight men fear is not being straight. Like if I begin to question it and get technical or become more simplified and rationalizing my attraction, that... I am now going to be the thing that it's not okay for me to be because it conflicts with my values. So with that question in particular, mm -hmm. how'd you handle that? <clears throat> well, I, I simply told the person, I'm like, look at what you're attracted to. Look at what your sexual attraction is. Are you attracted to my female qualities? Are you attracted to my male qualities? If, if you only have interest in what you're looking at as being female and what you're observing as female, then you're still straight because in order to be homosexual, you need to be attracted towards the male aspects or the male sides. So just because someone has a male body, if you're attracted to that person mentally and even physically as to what they're displaying as female traits, then you're still, you're still a straight male. What was his response to that? The response I got was, wow, you've really given me something to think about. Um, I'm going to have to sit with this for a while. Thank you. Did they come back to you later after having sat with that for a while or no. what? Um, no, I haven't heard back. Okay. Is it more accurate to say masculine traits, feminine traits, than it is to say male-female? Can we, could, yeah. for the sake of our conversation, conversation. here moving forward, okay. um, getting into this conversation, how did this happen? How did that question come up to you? Um, on a dating site. I'm polyamorous, so um, I am have a, a dating profile that I'm always kind of looking for something. Was this person aware that you were trans prior to... 
Well, you didn't meet in person, I'm assuming. Did you just no. were you just talking over yeah, there? Yeah, just just talking online. Do you have to have that conversation a lot? Every time because I have learned like on one of my profiles it has my picture directly underneath of it's my name and then I've even put like little stars and then trans woman and then stars to to put that in like the first paragraph I say I am trans and they don't read. No, I it's, think that's a man look thing. Look at the picture and and then you just don't read anything else. Yeah. And so yes, every time I have to go did you read my profile? This is with everybody who makes contact with me. Did you read my profile? Do you know I'm trans? Do you know I'm poly? I'm guilty of this. So whenever I was on Tinder or any kind of dating site, I'd just like be doing something else and just right swipe, right swipe, right swipe. And whoever we end up having connections to, that's where the conversation starts. So if a conversation is initiated, at any point there has to be some sort of physical attraction. So you see a profile, you see a person like, oh, I'm attracted. And then when you get to reading in there, why is it then that people begin to have issues and begin to question their sexuality when you're attracted to whatever, whoever you're attracted to um, based on their physical appearance? And then it becomes an issue that I guess now your sexuality is in question because this person has told you they were trans like what would happen if you didn't say you were trans you know uh if you don't bring that up and you meet the person in person you take a large risk of violence wow and is this just because of transphobia yeah the minute that that you have now put their their sexuality in the question that anger and shame generally turns to violence and you are the target. What do we do about that? I try to stay aware of issues that are going on in terms of social justice. And there have been murders of trans women. And is there anything we can do? Like, how is it that you keep yourself safe? You're on dating profiles. You're polyamorous. And when you're talking about running uh, into potential violence if you're not disclosing that information, but we have situations where people are choosing to actively not see that information. So what's to happen if you meet with someone who knows, are you still at risk for violence? Um, I think it's a little bit lower. Okay. When, you know, if you meet someone who already knows, um, I guess there's always that time if they like know, but are still questioning themselves and then they come up with their answer that, you know, that's not good for them. It may still turn violent, but in my experience, not. Being completely transparent here, when sexual energy is high, I think that our rationality is a little bit different. So can we speak to the experiences of or possibility of a male identifying person who is homophobic and has some shame rooted with anger, who is open to meeting a trans person and they are getting together after the release, the interaction, mm -hmm. after sex, is that when violence is likely to also occur? Because I think there's this phrase of thinking with your dick. And then like once you're not thinking with your dick anymore, it's like back to reality. So now is it like, oh shit, I just had sex with a trans person or coming from a transphobic person's mouth, it would be, I just fucked a dude. And now that is another instance of potential violence. Oh, yeah, that is definitely reality. This is a really weird 
space to navigate because I'm looking at it as this is a thing that needs to be addressed from a shame perspective and nobody should have to have themselves in position to face violence in any situation, especially one where people are looking to date, uh, intentions are put out there, but all of a sudden, like, you get what you want, and now it's like, oh, shit, back to reality. Like, that's not fair to the other people. That's not fair to the other person. For me, as a straight male in this space with this ability to communicate to whoever finds these podcasts, like, what would you say to someone who may be questioning their sexuality in terms of whether or not it's okay to be with, be attracted to a trans woman? Take the time to get to know them as a person. Don't just, you know, rush in to have sex. Um, I think that that's a big portion, is once you connect with someone on a, on a deeper level than just physical then I think that kind of makes it safer for everyone because you're, you're, you now, you've made a connection. This person is now real to you. They're a, a human, not a trans person. They're not a, a fetish anymore. Ah, that's what I was going to get to next, talking <clears throat> about the fetishization. That's a real thing where people fetishize um, sexual encounters with a trans person, trans woman. What is the difference between a fetish and a kink? Does that apply here because it's a person? Because um, I heard that there's like kind of an overlap between something being fetishized and it actually being someone's kink. So if you're attracted to someone with certain qualities or behaviors, like that would then be a kink, I guess. The question that I've fielded on this before is the difference between attraction to somebody and fetishizing somebody. So we kind of haven't dealt with the kink side of it. But when a person is not a person, they are a thing. They are trans. They are black. They are uh, Asian. When that is what you see, then it's a fetish. When that person is not human, they're an object. Once that... If you're at a point where the person is still a human to you, they're a personality, then at that point, you're you're not fetishizing that piece any longer. Okay, that makes sense. So we're talking about objectification of a human versus seeing the human. Right. All right. Now... You mentioned your personal experience, and we'll be able to touch on some of that. So you are a trans woman. Um, when did you begin to explore that? Like, talk to me about the origin story. Like, how long have you been safe being a trans woman? I don't know how to start this particular conversation. <laughs> like, I mean, I think that I don't think people like change or anything. I think that we just kind of grow into who we naturally are. So like, was there a point in time where you realized that you were different? Um, at four years old, I remember my dad trying to take pictures of me and I'm like yanking my sweater off my shoulder. And he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, this is how Farrah Fawcett looks when she takes her pictures. And that did not end well. (laughs) Where are you from? From Illinois. Okay. So close to Missouri. So yeah. we're talking fairly conservative. Alton. All right. Oh, shit. Alton yeah. area. Yeah, yeah, right next door. All yeah, right. right next door. So, yeah, that did not end well at all for me. Um, 
and that's when it got pushed pretty deep down in my little closet. Mm. So I can just imagine at that point, are we talking about dad pushing you more into sports or doing Oh, like... God, yeah. He made me play baseball. It so sucked. Uh, to this day, like, I, I can play any sport, and I'm fairly good at it, but I just don't because just this... I guess, uh, internalized hatred for anything that has to do with, with that Yeah. because it was pushed on me so hard. And how long did you feel like you had to push yourself down? Because I, I mean, I can imagine how your dad began to treat you moving forward, but when did you begin to feel safe in expressing yourself? Um, I was 35 when I came out of the closet. 35? Was there anything between 4 and 34 that you were able to express yourself? My grandparents let me express myself Mm -hmm. over at their place. Um, So I spent a lot of weekends over there uh, growing up. Um, But, yeah, then pretty much I went on this full masculine kick and did as much guy stuff as humanly possible. Now, was this you just fighting it for acceptance Oh, yeah. Uh, I wanted to be normal. Mm-hmm. So what did that look like for you in terms of just fighting and to be masculine? It was horrible. Um, I mean, and people would still, I mean, to this day, people would, would pick up on these feminine traits that I had and would make comments about it. And, you know, that's when I, oh, I'm slipping in this area. <laughs> I got to watch myself more in this area. Someone asked me once so after I transitioned, like, well, how long did it take you to act? like a woman as well as you do and i'm like um, i just stopped acting like a man it just came down to you being yourself expressing yourself the way that you felt the most free to express yourself like there's nothing much to it it's not you putting on a front it's not you acting like someone you're not it's just you being yourself literally Mm -hmm. and then what did that look like for you what did expressing yourself uh on weekends at your grandparents house look like basically i'd over and they my grandma had a couple things that I could put on usually they were like night shirts and then I could just run around the house and I knew I wasn't in boy clothes oh. and I was fine so something as simple as that so we're just talking about you being able to dress outside of gender norm identifying clothing and just being able to play like a kid would play mm-hmm. all right and you said 35 so 35 <laughs> was when you just became fully out. What gave you the courage? What gave you the safety to do so? At 35, I was married at the time, and I had a massive anger outburst. And uh, these were not uncommon. And uh, my now ex-wife had said and told me, she's like, you need to go see somebody about this anger, um, or I'm leaving. And it's like, okay. So I started into therapy, and after three sessions of therapy, the therapist come up, and I had told her about, like, cross-dressing and stuff like that. And after about three um, sessions, she's like, do you know why you're angry? And I'm like, no. She's like, you have no clue. And I'm like, no. She's like, you're a transsexual. I'm like, no, I'm not. She's like, yes, you are. No, no, I'm just a cross-dresser. She's like, no, you're a transsexual. And I cried for three days while absorbing that information. Did you cry because you were seen or did you cry because I knew my entire life was about to just get flip flopped? (laughs) Is it because you 
weren't able to unsee that now that someone brought it to the surface? Is it because now you had language for it or what? Um, I, I had convinced myself that I cross-dressed and that was it. I, I, I was okay. But then when you attach that label to it, and at that time, when I was 35, it was still a disorder. Mm. I mean, I was now labeled mentally ill. So this was, you know, a big deal. Okay, so you received a, I mean, at this, the language that we'll use here is just a clinical diagnosis of being transsexual. Mm -hmm. So there were no hints of that to you. How did you feel about transsexual people before you were given your, quote, diagnosis from the clinician? So I had attempted to come out of the closet a couple times, and I had suffered uh, sexual abuse and from a, a couple people, and I had um, suffered um, being emotionally abused by a person, and then I also had one person try to exploit me. So, and these uh, two of the three were trans people that did this to me. So these were friends of yours, I'm going to make the assumption. Uh, like, there was some kind of a connection there. They they were people I had met while trying to come out. Oh. What did trying to come out look like? Trying to find my community. Trying to go places where I could meet other people who might be like me. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, trying to just make a friend. Yeah, so you were putting yourself out there, and it just wasn't being... Well, I guess it was being received. Like, why did why did they want to out you? I don't understand that. Um, I don't know. Hmm. Okay. Now, what are some safe places, safe spaces that you felt safe in going to try and reach out to a community? Um, you mean like when I, at 35 when I came out? Or? I guess uh, leading up to coming out. Like what, I mean, you got your diagnosis, you cried for three days. Oh, I'm going to make the assumption your ex-wife left. You yeah. parted ways after that situation. Yeah. So where did you have to go from there? Like, I assume that you may have been... Um, when we separated and I moved out, I took about, it was around nine days. And in that nine days, I, I, I needed to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Because at that point, a lot of stuff had been stripped from me already. You know, I lost my home, lost my marriage. She was taking the kids. And uh, at that point, I... I took some time to figure out, you know, where was I going to go from here? And I decided that I was going to live full-time as a woman. And at that point, um, at the end of this nine days when I had come to this, I packed up almost all of my mail clothes, drove out to Goodwill, dumped them, bought new stuff at Goodwill, and then I went straight to a tattoo parlor and I had a ginormous tattoo put on my back so that I could not hide in public any longer. What was, because what did, if I was going to do it, I was going to do it right. What did the tattoo represent for you? To me, it meant that I could no longer hide in the shadows. That I had to accept who I was and I had to live that and claim my own space and force my own space if needed. How'd that feel for you? Uh, it was scary at first. Yeah. It was very scary at first, but I mean, uh, it's it's 
going really well. How old are you now? Probably should have asked this earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 46. All right. So you spent the last 10, 11 years living freely expressive as yourself. And over the last 11 years, I mean, it, it seems like everything might be new to you. Like you may feel like a, like a, like a kid when everything's just new compared to the last 35 years of your life leading up to that point where you decided to come out about it or just mm -hmm. come out and be yourself. What's really changed for you between then we're talking about you being angry, hiding this, keeping it within, not having the language and then your therapist freeing you, <laughs> so to speak. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the difference? Can you give me like a then being hidden and now being expressive? Yeah, my life has completely changed. I'm, I'm, uh, I have like, I guess what you would call actual real friends, people I can count on that aren't just there for the good stuff. So it's almost just like a chosen family. Yeah. I just feel more myself all the time um i mean and and i had other things that were going on that were kind of all attached to this um like i hadn't really experienced a whole lot of emotion up until i started the medications and then like that opened up a whole new world of emotions to me um so i mean like i've experienced all kinds of emotional stuff that i've never had to before i've been able to have the most productive relationships i've ever had in my life um the most honest relationships i've ever had it's brought me also into not just like my struggle but everyone's struggle i mean because i guess i never saw privilege until i lost the male privilege oh let's and, talk more about that <laughs> and, <laughs> All right, we can go back. But when I lost male privilege was when it dawned on me all this other privilege that had been talked about that I didn't see. And now I could see it. And any strive that I can help make with other people on their struggles eventually, I mean, ends up being good in, in my struggle, too, with my life. Yeah. So I put a lot of energy into that, too. Okay. So you lost male privilege. What what male privilege is it that you lost? Oh, I used to be able to walk into... Um... Okay, story. I went in for a job interview. And I had another one set up about an hour later. And the guy was like, uh, I really want you to work for me. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I've got to go to another interview. He's like, all right, so what's going to take for you not to go to the interview? And I was hired twice like this. I never went more than two weeks without a job. Now, is this went before you when transitioned? I was male. Okay. When I was male. Now that I've transitioned, finding a job is a monumental task. I mean, I'm sure that you probably carried yourself in a way that the potential employer might have looked and saw, oh, I can see myself in that person. Yeah, you're like me. Is that kind of what it, what you may think contributed to it? Possibly. I mean, I know that like when I lost my job, when I transitioned, the thing that was told to me was um, we hired a man, not a woman, to do this job, which was standing behind a machine punching buttons. 
Wow. <laughs> Which, and I was pretty much in a room by myself all day. It's not like, you know, yeah. I was out in their public eye. That's so, uh, okay. So. And you said twice you've been hired as a male. As a male. Just, like just been hired, I mean, to where the, the employer was like, what do I have to do so that you don't go to any other job interview? Mm-hmm. And then now it's now yeah it's crickets oh yeah <laughs> ah. I mean it's I I'm on six months right now on a job search that I still haven't got anything off of mm. so and same field or no different field well I, I, right now it's any field I mean yeah. I'm just but when I when I got the the job I currently have it was in a different field and they honestly didn't want to hire me when I got hired I remember. We were driving around. It was like an in-home health type thing. And we were we were driving, and I was with my new boss, and she's like, yeah, I'm really glad I got you. They were hired some trans girl, and um, I was afraid I was going to get stuck with her. And I was like, you did. And she, like, almost stopped in the middle of Limburg, <laughs> And just was like, what? Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, you, you did get stuck with her. So, and I don't want to... I want to be like jokes on you. I mean, but <laughs> how could she awesome for you for being able to pass so well to where she didn't even notice, but we don't, we can't just look at someone and tell what their identity is, you know? Right. And even then, like what, what, what happened after that? Oh, she started becoming really apologetic and I'm like, no, just, just keep it real. Yeah. I mean, stop. So was this an opportunity? Were you able to educate this person and yes, inform her? Yes, we sat down. I told her that for the rest of that day, she could ask any questions she was she wanted, and I would not report her to HR for it. Oh, I like how you did this. So it was just like for the rest of today, here, here's what I'm going to give you in terms of this emotional labor that's being required. After that, you fuck up. We, we done here. <laughs> yeah, pretty <laughs> okay. much. Uh, so HR, I mean, you have to report that, don't you? Do you have to say I'm a trans woman when you're applying for jobs? You don't have to, but with my voice, it's kind of, yeah. boom. <laughs> okay. There it is. Okay. You know, I mean, if I can go in somewhere and not say a word, I'm golden. Mm. <laughs> They're like, all right, here's Stacy. Uh, Stacy does this, this, this. You're like, oh, fine, you're hired. And then boss walks out <laughs> of the room. All right. Uh, so male privilege, did we close up on that? Or was there more that you wanted to touch on in terms of um, recognizing? I mean, not not that I can, but if there's more you want to ask me about it, I mm, mean... Oh, no. Like, I, I want to just go all over the place with this. And if there are things that come up that need more detail, then we can go into that more okay. detail. And I'm, I'm willing to go into more detail if you have specific questions. I do. You mentioned that your wife or partner is asexual? Yes. Okay. Talk to me about that. So... You're polyamorous. Your significant other is wife. What? What do we? I want to use the right language here. Uh, we we were married, but we never signed any paperwork. Okay, so you are married and never signed paperwork. Yeah. Okay. So it's not legal, but we went through. We had a ceremony. We had all of our friends over. We had a reception. Uh-huh. We, we did the whole thing. We oh, just, so kept, just the kept the government, government out. out. Oh, that's ideal. <laughs> so hey, you don't get all, any other benefits of it, though. <laughs> Well, I don't think they'd be much benefits because my, no, my wife is disabled. Oh. So, 
anything, you know, since I'm an able-bodied person that can work, they would strip all of her stuff away from her. Got it. Got it. So. All right. Now let's talk about your relationships. Um, being a trans woman, you're married to a woman, correct? Yes. Um, she identifies as a lesbian. She identifies as a lesbian right. and taking it back to the conversation that we had earlier about a heterosexual man being attracted to a trans woman you being a trans woman with a woman who identifies as a lesbian <laughs> you are i, I mean it, uh, yeah i don't mess changes. up again yeah so I, why do we even use the word trans if you identify as a woman why can't you just be a woman do we need the word trans for people who have an enlightened perspective no but for the general population yes because again without that identifier where we risk violence now we're at a place where cisgendered transgendered like i i feel like even someone you have felt like a woman since you were four we're, we're breaking that as a starting point from four years old to 35 years old you felt like a woman you wanted to be a woman and now in order to have become a woman at 35, 36 years old, you have to attach this trans label, which comes with so much stereotype, stigma, and just negative baggage that comes with it. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it was worth it? Like, is it worth it? No, definitely. So the negative, the good outweighs the negative. Oh yeah. Like that feeling of being able to really fully just be yourself trumps the negativity that you've experienced throughout well, I've got life. amazing people in my life and that has helped mm -hmm. greatly I guess you gotta put up with some of the assholes in order to find the really good people but yeah I mean I'll dig through that did anyone after you came out who you were friends with or in your circle did any of those people stick around Oh, uh, when I came out, I pretty much, everybody left. Wow. I mean, it was, um, when I turned full-time, like, my best friend who used to let me cross-dress, I, I lived with him, and he was like, oh, you dress however you want, or, and, and, I mean, like, one day he caught me in my room, he just come in, he's like, hey, oh, um, grab some, uh, grab some beers, uh, I've got popcorn, we're watching a movie, and I'm like, um, I'll change. He's like, no, I got the movie started. Get your ass out. Didn't care. But the minute I started taking hormones, nothing to do with me. Is that because it became real? Did yeah, he I guess. think it was a phase? I, what, what was in his head? I don't know. Cause huh. he won't talk to me about it. Ah, uh, I'm sorry. And I don't know if I'm asking any stupid questions. Like these are things that I, these are things that well, come that, that's up. That's a question that I've asked process. myself, okay. and I I don't know. I uh -huh. I don't know what the real difference was for him because he had absolutely no problems with it whatsoever. I mean, when I would date people, he would be like, "Bring your shit over. We'll stash it up in my attic. Come over whenever you want. Just let me know. That way, I'm not walking in surprise." Bob, he could care less. Huh. And then I start taking hormones, and it's. Do you think it was because he became attracted to you over time? I, that's what I, I. That's what I'm leaning towards. I, I, I like to play with these ideas of speculation, what goes on in other people's minds. So probably it is not a good thing for me <laughs> <laughs> to do. But 
Uh, that's what I would think. It's like, oh, you got to get away from here. And we can let that go, move on to the next thing. But you also are polyamorous. Yes. Let's talk about that. So you have these negative experiences dating. People don't read profiles or um, don't see that you're a trans woman. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, what's your dating life like? Dating is, is rough as far as finding initial people to date. Um, I'm also like exceptionally picky, which doesn't help matters. <laughs> I think we all should be picky. And I, I don't know that picky is the right word. I think we all have standards. We all need to have standards. Um, people often talk about expectations, but to me, expectations are external, whereas standards are, this is not what I'm going to allow any less than. Like, this is how I would treat myself. This is how I treat other people. And if people are externally going to come into my space, this is what the standard is. Like, it's not about explaining what's expected, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I well, don't go on a whole lot of dates. Well, you're also, you're married and yes. you have metamors mm -hmm. and you're dating. That seemed like a headache. <laughs> no, actually, I get along with my metamors really well okay um yeah stories on that i can go on but um i have my wife um and she's actually who taught me how to be polyamorous your asexual wife taught you how to be polyamorous she became asexual when she became disabled from oh. and the medications and that she had to start taking and stuff like that but she had been polyamorous all of her life and she'd been in other polyamorous relationships and uh, so she wanted me to open up to that. And I had difficulty. So we went monogamous for two years while I wrapped my head around it. So before she became disabled, you two were polyamorous. Yes. Okay, got it. And now we're, I guess you would call it, uh, monopoly. Monopoly. <laughs> monopoly, okay. <laughs> she, can, she can have, you know, she can have a relationship if she wants she just got to tell me that she's interested in doing it and she goes and I mean she can go and do it. Yeah. And that's open to her whenever she wants to do that. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what asexual is? Is that a person who just doesn't have sex? Cuz that's uh, what I'm thinking. No, asexual is a person who lacks sexual attraction. Like when you look at a person and and you get that attraction and you get that kind of sexual feeling of like yeah, I'd like to do stuff with this person. That never connects with her. She'll see people, yeah, they're nice looking, but it never progresses into anything that, that she feels she wants to do physically. Now, I'm demisexual, which is a form of asexuality. I don't get that sexual feeling for people until I know them, till I've formed an emotional connection with them. What's the, what's the demi stem from? I honestly don't know. All right, we can cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. That's, what I, that's why I was making that face. I was like, Demi. Like, I'm thinking demigod, like semi-god, I guess, but semi-sexual. So it's like you become, well, demisexual. I, I can look that up, but keep going, keep going. You're demisexual. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so I don't feel the need or the desire to have sex with somebody until actually, until I've formed an emotional connection to that person. And then, like, yeah, I, I want sex a lot. <laughs> okay. So it's like kind of like a gateway. So it's like you meet someone or, like, there may be interest or 
you're open to whatever connection is going to take place. And then you find yourself like, oh, I like this person. I like spending time with this person. It's almost like a courting stage. Like, yeah. You don't become sexually attracted until the courting is done. Right. Okay. Got it. All right. Now, what are your partner's sexual orientations? As we discussed, my wife is asexual. I have a boyfriend that's straight that identifies as straight. And I have a girlfriend that's long distance that identifies as pansexual. Can you tell me what pansexual is? <laughs> I forgot. Uh, is pansexual... Uh, pansexual means that you don't see gender in your attraction. Okay, okay. all right. That's why I, that, I wasn't going to use that language, but I got it. And then uh, my boyfriend has uh, a fiancé, and she's my metamorph. And uh, my long-distance girlfriend has a nesting partner that is also my metamorph. Okay, so a metamorph is a lover of your lover. Yes. Okay, so there's no direct sexual contact to... No. Okay, got it. No, oh. there's... I mean, there are friendships, but yeah. when, when they're your metamorph, friendship is where that relationship stops, and that's what makes them a metamorph. Oh, okay, so... You can go out on a date with your boyfriend, but your boyfriend's fiance maybe would tag along, but just kind of be like friend to you. I don't know, like or well, is it okay, so, separate? So or we've what? never done that okay. per se, but we have done a double date where he's gone out with her, I've gone out with another guy, and we've gone out together to go do stuff. Yeah. So it was just talking about like, yeah, I don't know, go get food and drinks or something like that. Yeah. And, and that, that's so cool. Like, I think that's cool as fuck. Like, so you're <laughs> dating this person and the person that that person's dating is able to come out with you while you're on a date with another person that you're dating. And it's just perfectly normal. Yeah. So I've had it in my mind. I used to think up until I met my first person who opened up and identified as polyamorous, I always thought everybody just was having sex with each other. Like, I thought that was it. And I'm sure that that's like not an uncommon misconception from people, but right. to hear that people can go out and do like platonic things. Well, like, um, here's a story of, of how me and my metamorph get along. Um, my boyfriend was performing down on Del Mar and I arrived, but I had a date with me. So I go down, my date, uh, goes and sets down. I go down to say hi, and my metamorph tells me that she's got a seat saved for me. And I was like, um, but there's two of us. And I pointed up there, and that's when she realized I had a date. She went up and down that row asking people if they would move so that me and my date could come and sit with them. So that's like a family thing. That's family. That's literally chosen family. Yeah. How'd you get to a space where... I guess, how did you find good people? Uh, <laughs> I got lucky. I mean, honestly, I did. Because I've been searching for quite a while now. About a year, year and a half. And I haven't had any luck. So. So we find ourselves now in a position where it was hard for you to get, you know, well, you transitioned. And I'm sure dating itself was challenging and now you've got a boyfriend a girlfriend and a wife yeah nice <laughs> <laughs> what are some challenges that you face now in being an openly trans woman being out is out the terminology i feel like there's something better than out um 
Nope. When you find it, let me know. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, go ahead and what was the question? No, the question is just like, are you facing any challenges now? Having now that you're out and you have you honestly no. Because... I feel like you're almost like living the dream of having the relationships that you want. You have a community that you're safe in. And I mean, the biggest struggle, it seems like, from what we've just talked about is people reading your dating profile, which happens with everybody. And finding a <laughs> and job. And then finding a job. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. That that Those are pretty much my only issues. Um, when I came out because of my past in my community, the trans community, I, I don't really go in into the trans community at all. I stay in the cisgendered community and I've just, I've forced my, my presence in it. Yeah. And it's worked out well for me. Nice. Do you feel that there's some kind of level of privilege that has to come with you being able to force your presence? Um, I'm quite sure there is. I mean, yeah. And there may be places where this is inappropriate, but I feel like that's women women sort of have to force their presence, um, take up more space, be heard, be loud. And it, to me, what you just said, like, it doesn't really sound like much of a difference. Like when I go into a space, I'm a massive person. I'm loud, vocal. And so I'm seen, I'm heard, I'm known. And then for you having the, I, I guess it's the word force, like forcing your presence to mm -hmm. me seems like, Something that you I don't have to do, but it's also something that you shouldn't have to do. But if I don't do it, who's going to do it? And that's the other thing is I, I know I've been in, in areas that I've forced my presence in. And now other people who are trans have felt safe to come out or talk to people in that area. I've also seen more acceptance of, of people who were like put off by me when I first arrived in that you know, like little social circle that now accept me and accept other trans people and have even changed their language on how they talk. No shit. I yeah, love it's that. Just okay. Because I mean it's it's just having the ability to go in and say this this is who I am, you're going to deal with me. Yeah. Do you think you had that confidence when you identified as a man? No. Mm. Not at all. So there's also a level of confidence that comes with this free expression. When I was expression. a guy, there is no way I could sit in front of a microphone and talk. There was no way I would get up and talk in public. And now, I mean, I've I've talked at coffee shops. I've talked on panels at Warshu. I've... <laughs> I, I Yeah, I don't... I, I enjoy going up in public speaking. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Force Your Presence is totally going to be the title of this podcast episode, <laughs> by the way. So good job with that. Um, you mentioned to me, and this is probably where we can close out unless you have anything else that we don't cover with this conversation, issues with the medical community. So I've recently gotten tested for SCIs. I went and to uh, the St. Louis Effort for AIDS. So they provide free STI testing here locally. Um, if you have insurance, they'll bill your insurance. If you don't have insurance, it's okay. They test you for syphilis, HIV, gonorrhea, chlamydia. So um, I go in. This is the first place that I was tested where they ask me questions that I can see how someone in like a heteronormative mindset would be offended by. But I was asked if I had sex with men, if I was polyamorous, if I had sex with sex workers, or if I had sex with trans people. And I... 
the way that it was asked wasn't in a judgmental way, but it was more of a way to, I guess, assess my needs, assess my risks. I don't well, know. Well, there's different. Well, yeah, it's just assess your needs and your risks because there's different tests. Um, I know, like, my boyfriend has, has at one time said that, you know, he goes in and they take him as a straight heterosexual male. But then he's like, yeah, I need this test, this test, and this test also. And they're like, well, no, you don't. And he's like, you know, well, one of my girlfriends happens to have a penis. So, yeah, I do. <laughs> okay. So, what what's this test, this test, this test? Because now I'm like, well, damn. Like, I don't know. I get tests? tested for right. absolutely everything. Because, I mean, I walk in, I'm trans. I just get, they, they just, they, they go all over me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Are there issues that you face from the medical community? Because I hear stories, I hear horror stories, even from lesbians gay people bisexual people and people who are polyamorous that they face judgment stigma from the people who are supposed to be providing them with medical care so you shared with me a story well we didn't go into details of the story but you said you had a story and i'd love for you to be able to share that here just for the sake of us hopefully giving other people the confidence to come into this space and talk about it i had had an incident one night and uh i had i had passed out it's a thing with your vagus nerve, and so what happens is um, in the middle of the night, if you go to the bathroom, your blood pressure can drop while you're going to the bathroom and you pass out. So this had happened to me, and it had happened before. I knew what it was, but my current wife had never seen it, and uh, I had fallen. I had broke a trash can with my back. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it wasn't pretty. So she wanted me to go to the hospital to get tested to see if I had a seizure or anything. So we go to the hospital. They check me in. They put me in the ER room. They take some blood. They come back, and, and the doctor comes in, and he's like, I need you to uh, take, you know, take this test. And I'm like, what is it? It's a pregnancy test. I'm like, I'm not pregnant. He's like, I'm, I'm afraid you are. And I kind of chuckle, and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not pregnant. <laughs> and he's like, you can, you know, deny it all you want. I'm like, look, my, my wife is sitting there. I'm, I'm not pregnant. And he's like, well, then, I mean, I'm not going to be the one to say you're doing something behind her back, but you're pregnant. And there were two other nurses in the room at this time, along with my, my wife. And I'm like, um, okay. I'm trans, I can't be pregnant. And the doctor looked at me and said, I don't care how much testosterone you shoot up in your body, you can still get pregnant. And at this time, my only thought was, you're not going to learn until I force it. So I flashed him. Looked oh, it up my gown and was like... <laughs> and so wait, he thought you were trans the other way. The I other guess. way. Okay, so I was, I was thinking, I was like... Is this a compliment because you are passing so well, or is this an insult that, I don't know. Oh, it was, I guess it was a compliment, but it was an insult because he just wouldn't listen to me. Yeah. And both nurses started busting laughing. Oh, shit. My wife started busting laughing. He stormed out, called both nurses out with him, and about 15 minutes later had a new doctor come in and start explaining to me and my wife about this Vegas nerve, you know, condition. <laughs> so we went from pregnancy test to, all right, here's the condition that we're dealing with. Wow. Wow. 
Yeah, because he wouldn't come in and see me anymore. Discrimination at its finest. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Did you end up getting the issue resolved, though? Well, I mean, it's good. It, there's really nothing they can do for it. Mm-hmm. You just got to be aware of it. Ah, okay. Is it something that you can see coming, or generally, um, generally, I have a, I have a few seconds warning. Mm. So you so. can just really just kind of get to a safe space where you're not yeah. gonna fall. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I mean that's why we need more empathetic healthcare. Um, we talk about the we need a button campaign and the hashtag unfair care is where you can also hear more of these stories where medical professionals just aren't giving LGBT members the quality of empathetic health care that we all should be given access to. Stacy, I think we covered everything that I thought to cover just from our conversations. Um, if there are more things, I'd hopefully be able to just shoot you an email like, hey, here are things that came up from people who've listened to the podcast and maybe they have questions. I mean, that doesn't happen often, but this is me soliciting an opportunity for you to write in questions. <laughs> is there anything else that you want to leave us with? Anything else you want to say? Um, I definitely want to be able to help, you know, support the trans community in terms of the violence and aggression that they're met with by using this platform as a space to inform people of ways to reflect on their own shame and giving them the language to use around this and encourage people to have discussions but what's something that we can do as people who are listening to this podcast to support trans people i just I mean, open up your mind and and know that gender is a spectrum, not a binary. It's not one or the other. That you, and the spectrum is is large. People can fall anywhere on it. Respect people on you know what they're choosing and what they tell you that they are, because they're the only ones who know it. I uh, read something that said respecting one's pronouns and acknowledging their pronouns is a form of suicide prevention. And since I heard that, I got it. I understood. Um, As I mentioned, this podcast was started because there were people who were diagnosed with HSV, herpes simplex virus, who expressed that they wanted to kill themselves after their diagnosis. So um, I'm an advocate for suicide, not suicide, but like for suicide prevention. Oh, God, I finally got it out. Um, so any way, shape, or form, like there's overlap there. So I support any way that we can prevent suicide, whatever we can do, something as simple as just seeing a person, seeing them for who they are, not what they look like or what they have. Like, let's let's start there. That it? Yeah. All right. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. I can be found at spfpp.org, which is just the acronym for Something Positive for Positive People. If you have any questions, you can just shoot me an email, Courtney at spfpp.org, and let me know what you thought of this podcast episode. Like I said, I want this to be an intentionally inclusive hub of sex-positive resources available to anyone who's looking for them. Till next time, stay sex-positive.